chapter twenty two part two of supplements to the second book from the world as will and idea volume three by arthur schopenhauer translated by r b haldane and j kemp this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter twenty two objective view of the intellect part two now although the true being of everything that exists consists in its will and knowledge together with consciousness are only added at the higher grades of the phenomenon as something secondary yet we find that the difference which the presence and the different degree of consciousness places between one being and another is exceedingly great and of important results the subjective existence of the plant we must think of as a weak analogue a mere shadow of comfort and discomfort and even in this exceedingly weak degree the plant knows only of itself not of anything outside of it on the other hand even the lowest animal standing next to it is forced by increased and more definitely specified wants to extend the sphere of its existence beyond the limits of its own body this takes place through knowledge it has a dim apprehension of its immediate surroundings out of which the motives for its action with a view to its own maintenance arise thus accordingly the medium of motives appears and this is the world existing objectively in time and space the world as idea however weak obscure and dimly dawning this first and lowest example of it may be but it imprints itself ever more and more distinctly ever wider and deeper in proportion as in the ascending scale of animal organizations the brain is ever more perfectly produced this progress in the development of the brain thus of the intellect and of the clearness of the idea at each of these ever higher grades is however brought about by the constantly increasing and more complicated wants of this phenomenon of the will this must always first afford the occasion for it for without necessity nature that is the will which objectifies itself in it produces nothing least of all the hardest of its productions a more perfect brain in consequence of its lex parsimoniae natura nihil agit frustra et nihil facit supervacaneum it has provided every animal with the organs which are necessary for its sustenance and the weapons necessary for its conflict as i have shown at length in my work über den willen in der natur under the heading vergleichende anatomie according to this measure therefore it imparts to each the most important of those organs concerned with what is without the brain with its function the intellect the more complicated through higher development its organization became the more multifarious and specially determined did its wants also become and consequently the more difficult and the more dependent upon opportunity was the provision of what would satisfy them thus there was needed here a wider range of sight a more accurate comprehension a more correct distinction of things in the external world in all their circumstances and relations accordingly we see the faculty of forming ideas and its organs brain nerves and special senses appear ever more perfect the higher we advance in the scale of animals and in proportion as the cerebral system develops the external world appears ever more distinct many-sided and complete in consciousness the comprehension of it now demands ever more attention and ultimately in such a degree that sometimes its relation to the will 
must momentarily be lost sight of in order that it may take place more purely and correctly quite definitely this first appears in the case of man with him alone does a pure separation of knowing and willing take place this is an important point which i merely touch on here in order to indicate its position and be able to take it up again later but like all the rest nature takes this last step also in extending and perfecting the brain and thereby in increasing the powers of knowledge only in consequence of the increased needs thus in the service of the will what this aims at and attains in man is indeed essentially the same and not more than what is also its goal in the brutes nourishment and propagation but the requisites for the attainment of this goal become so much increased in number and of so much higher quality and greater definiteness through the organization of man that a very much more considerable heightening of the intellect than the previous steps demanded was necessary or at least was the easiest means of reaching the end but since now the intellect in accordance with its nature is a tool of the most various utility and is equally applicable to the most different kinds of ends nature true to her spirit of parsimony could now meet through it alone all the demands of the wants which had now become so manifold therefore she sent forth man without clothing without natural means of protection or weapons of attack nay with relatively little muscular power combined with great frailty and little endurance of adverse influences and wants in reliance upon that one great tool in addition to which she had only to retain the hands from the next grade below him the ape but through the predominating intellect which here appears not only is the comprehension of motives their multiplicity and in general the horizon of the aims infinitely increased but also the distinctness with which the will is conscious of itself is enhanced in the highest degree in consequence of the clearness of the whole consciousness which has been brought about which is supported by the capacity for abstract knowledge and now attains to complete reflectiveness but thereby and also through the vehemence of the will which is necessarily presupposed as the supporter of such a heightened intellect an intensifying of all the emotions appears and indeed the possibility of the passions which properly speaking are unknown to the brute for the vehemence of the will keeps pace with the advance of intelligence because this advance really always springs from the increased needs and pressing demands of the will besides this however the two reciprocally support each other thus the vehemence of the character corresponds to the greater energy of the beating of the heart and the circulation of the blood which physically heighten the activity of the brain on the other hand the clearness of the intelligence intensifies the emotions which are called forth by the outward circumstances by means of the more vivid apprehension of the latter hence for example young calves quietly allow themselves to be packed in a cart and carried off but young lions if they are only separated from their mother remain permanently restless and roar unceasingly from morning to night children in such a position would cry and vex themselves almost to death the vivaciousness and impetuosity of the ape is in exact proportion to its greatly developed intellect it depends just on this reciprocal relationship that man is in general capable of far greater sorrows than the brute but also of greater joy in satisfied and pleasing emotions in the same way his higher intelligence makes him more sensible to ennui than the brute 
but it also becomes if he is individually very complete an inexhaustible source of entertainment thus as a whole the manifestation of the will in man is related to that in the brute of the higher species as a note that has been struck to its fifth pitched two or three octaves lower but between the different kinds of brutes also the differences of intellect and thereby of consciousness are great and endlessly graduated the mere analogy of consciousness which we must yet attribute to plants will be related to the still far deader subjective nature of an unorganized body very much as the consciousness of the lowest species of animals is related to the quasi-consciousness of plants we may present to our imagination the innumerable gradations in the degree of consciousness under the figure of the different velocity of points which are unequally distant from the centre of a revolving sphere but the most correct and indeed as our third book teaches the natural figure of that gradation is afforded us by the scale in its whole compass from the lowest audible note to the highest it is however the grade of consciousness which determines the grade of existence of a being for every immediate existence is subjective the objective existence is in the consciousness of another thus only for this other consequently quite indirect through the grade of consciousness beings are as different as through the will they are alike for the will is what is common to them all but what we have now considered between the plant and the animal and then between the different species of animals occurs also between man and man here also that which is secondary the intellect by means of the clearness of consciousness and distinctness of knowledge which depends upon it constitutes a fundamental and immeasurably great difference in the whole manner of the existence and thereby in the grade of it the higher the consciousness has risen the more distinct and connected are the thoughts the clearer the perceptions the more intense the sensations through it everything gains more depth emotion sadness joy and sorrow commonplace blockheads are not even capable of real joy they live on in dull insensibility while to one man his consciousness only presents his own existence together with the motives which must be apprehended for the purpose of sustaining and enlivening it in a bare comprehension of the external world it is to another a camera obscura in which the macrocosm exhibits itself he feels that he holds a little world brooding in his brain that it begins to work and to live that he fain would give it forth the difference of the whole manner of existence which the extremes of the gradation of intellectual capacity establish between man and man is so great that that between a king and a day-labourer seems small in comparison and here also as in the case of the species of animals a connection between the vehemence of the will and the height of the intellect can be shown genius is conditioned by a passionate temperament and a phlegmatic genius is inconceivable it seems as if an exceptionally vehement thus a violently longing will must be present if nature is to give an abnormally heightened intellect as corresponding to it while the merely physical account of this points to the greater energy with which the arteries of the head move the brain and increases turgescence certainly however the quantity quality and form of the brain itself is the other and incomparably more rare condition of genius on the other hand phlegmatic persons are as a rule a very moderate mental power and thus the northern cold-blooded and phlegmatic nations are in general noticeably inferior in mind 
to the southern vivacious and passionate peoples although as bacon has most pertinently remarked if once a man of a northern nation is highly gifted by nature he can then reach a grade which no southern ever attains to it is accordingly as perverse as it is common to take the great minds of different nations as a standard for comparing their mental powers but that is just attempting to prove the rule by the exceptions it is rather the great majority of each nation that one has to consider where one swallow does not make a summer we have further to remark here that that very passionateness which is a condition of genius bound up with its vivid apprehension of things produces in practical life where the will comes into play and especially in the case of sudden occurrences so great an excitement of the emotions that it disturbs and confuses the intellect while the phlegmatic man in such a case still retains the full use of his mental faculties though they are much more limited and then accomplishes much more with them than the greatest genius can achieve accordingly a passionate temperament is favourable to the original quality of the intellect but a phlegmatic temperament to its use therefore genius proper is only for theoretical achievements for which it can choose and await its time which will just be the time at which the will is entirely at rest and no waves disturb the clear mirror of the comprehension of the world on the other hand genius is ill adapted and unserviceable for practical life and is therefore for the most part unfortunate goethe's tasso is written from this point of view as now genius proper depends upon the absolute strength of the intellect which must be purchased by a correspondingly excessive vehemence of disposition so on the other hand the great preeminence in practical life that makes generals and statesmen depends upon the relative strength of the intellect thus upon the highest degree of it that can be attained without too great excitability of the emotions and too great vehemence of character and that therefore can hold its own even in the storm great firmness of will and constancy of mind together with a capable and fine understanding are here sufficient and whatever goes beyond this acts detrimentally for too great a development of the intelligence directly impedes firmness of character and resolution of will hence this kind of eminence is not so abnormal and is a hundred times less rare than the former kind and accordingly we see great generals and great ministers appear in every age whenever the merely external conditions are favourable to their efficiency great poets and philosophers on the other hand leave centuries waiting for them and yet humanity may be contented even with this rare appearance of them for their works remain and do not exist only for the present like the achievements of those other men it is also quite in keeping with the law of the parsimony of nature referred to above that it bestows great eminence of mind in general upon very few and genius only as the rarest of all exceptions while it equips the great mass of the human race with no more mental power than is required for the maintenance of the individual and the species for the great and through their very satisfaction constantly increasing needs of the human race make it necessary that the great majority of men should pass their lives in occupations of a coarsely physical and entirely mechanical description and what would be the use to them of an active mind a glowing imagination a subtle understanding and a profoundly penetrating intellect these would only make them useless and unhappy therefore nature has thus gone about the most costly of all her productions in the least extravagant manner in order not to judge unfairly 
one ought also to settle definitely one's expectations of the mental achievements of men generally from this point of view and to regard for example even learned men since as a rule they have become so only by the force of outward circumstances primarily as men whom nature really intended to be tillers of the soil indeed even professors of philosophy ought to be estimated according to this standard and then their achievements will be found to come up to all fair expectations it is worth noticing that in the south where the necessities of life press less severely upon the human race and more leisure is allowed the mental faculties even of the multitude also become more active and finer it is physiologically noteworthy that the preponderance of the mass of the brain over that of the spinal cord and the nerves which according to Sumering's acute discovery affords the true and closest measure of the degree of intelligence both of species of brutes and of individual men at the same time increases the direct power of moving the agility of the limbs because through the great inequality of the relation the dependence of all motor nerves upon the brain becomes more decided and besides this the cerebellum which is the primary controller of movements shares the qualitative perfection of the cerebrum thus through both all voluntary movements gain greater facility rapidity and manageableness and by the concentration of the starting point of all activity that arises which lichtenberg praises in garrick that he appeared to be present in all the muscles of his body hence clumsiness in the movement of the body indicates clumsiness in the movement of the thoughts and will be regarded as a sign of stupidity both in individuals and nations as much as sleepiness of the countenance and vacancy of the glance another symptom of the physiological state of the case referred to is the fact that many persons are obliged at once to stand still whenever their conversation with any one who is walking with them begins to gain some connection because their brain as soon as it has to link together a few thoughts has no longer as much power over as is required to keep the limbs in motion by means of the motory nerves so closely is everything measured with them end of chapter twenty two part two recording by expatriate in bangor maine